Hello and welcome back to the Ad Race podcast. I'm your host, Fiona Douglas, and today I'm joined by Dion Maxwell. Dion is passionate about diversity, inclusion and belonging, as well as race equality issues. She is Director of Diversity, Belonging and Engagement at Jungle Creations, where she leads a social media first publisher in developing and implementing Jungle's diversity and belonging strategy. She's also Chief Amplifier at Amplified Kin, a network that aims to amplify the presence of black and ethnic professionals through events, collaborations and spotlights. Welcome, Dion. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Sometimes you forget who you are and what you did, so it's lovely when someone else reminds you. <laughs> yeah, I often hear that in um, when doing these podcasts. People realise how much they're doing and how, how varied it can be. And we're going to be going back right to the start of your career so it's gonna be a nice walk down memory lane yeah so to start off we're going to talk about kind of getting into the ad industry so you worked for a lot of different london boroughs and also the greater london authority i believe so can you tell me a bit about that time in your career yep sure um so i worked at uh, I think the first local authority that I worked at was Islington, um, going back a few years now. But um, I worked in the housing benefits. So I was on, the, no, that's a lie, actually. I worked in the on the repairs line. So I was a temp and I worked on the repairs line. So when people had like an issue in their home, they would call up basically to book someone to come and fix it. Um, and then after that, that kind of started my local authority career because I then went to uni and I was doing music and media management, but I was also temping throughout the summer and I worked in um, housing benefits and I was on the benefits helpline. So people would call up with queries about their housing benefit and they would speak to someone like me. So I was there the whole time that I was at um, university. And then when I left university, I stayed at Islington Council and I went on to private sector partnerships, which was really about um, private sector housing and people that were placed in temporary accommodation in, in, um, by the council, but you know the, they were um, still waiting for their permanent address um, and they were placed in the private sector. And then from there, I kind of got more into engagement and events and marketing and became... Um, uh, I was going to say, actually, let me not say that, but I went around a few different, a few different um, local authorities. So on the streets, you would be called out for the streets for local authorities. So that's basically what I did. So I went, um, so it was Islington, Camden, Haringey, um, Tower Hamlets, um, and also the GLA, so the Greater London Authority, and really built up an understanding of different communities so because I worked um, mainly in communications, engagements and engagement and events, most of the stuff that I was doing was about understanding who the different demographics in the boroughs were, how they would use the service. So how they would work with or work or engage with the local authority. And then I had to come up with ways to make sure that people would continue to either read our newsletters, engage with our services, find out about policy changes, things that were going to affect them. So it meant having a really strong understanding of different communities within the different boroughs. And each borough would have different makeup of different demographics. So I think that really helped me kind of start my career in um, diversity and inclusion by being in local authority in the first place. And I guess that, especially in that area, there's probably 
a certain number of people or maybe an, even a certain type of person who is really engaged with with that type of content so that's kind of an, an easy win and then there's probably the majority of people that are a lot harder to reach so you have to work quite hard to draw them in definitely i think most people think of the local authority as people that you, do, you unless you have children and you take your children to school or you are um in um rented accommodation you don't really think about how you engage with the local authority so if you, you might think oh my bins haven't been collected or rubbish has been dumped so i'll contact them so there was loads of people that just don't don't engage don't actively engage with the local authority and it would be my job to try and seek them out so that they were aware of the different services that were available to them so it meant understanding who our hard to reach groups were and how they like to be communicated with not how we like to communicate with them so it's really easy for you to be like well we have a newsletter or we have a magazine that we send out to residents so we can just put the information in there but if you think of you yourself and how you engage with things, if somebody sends you a newsletter or a magazine, are you always going to read it? Are you going to read it because you have a need to read it or are you going to read it just because somebody sends it to you? So you had to find out what people's needs were in terms of engaging with the local authority and then kind of work on that in the way that you would uh, communicate with them, particularly around the like the development of the internet. I'm going to make myself sound so old, but when... People didn't really engage <laughs> with with the internet at all. That like, that wasn't really a thing when I first started out. Like that wasn't something that you did. So when it started to come become more popular as a way of communicating, it was then changing the way that you engage with people and developing ways to be like, yeah. okay, we have a written newsletter, but how many people actually we've got no way of, of knowing how many people actually read the articles that we put we put out there so we're going to have to think of online platforms we're going to have to think of social media use we're going to have to think of different ways of engaging with people in a way that they like to be communicated with not just in a way that is easier for us so yeah. yeah that was one of the challenges and I know through through your work with um at that time you also had like interactions with brands as well so as event partners and and clients so how was that side of things working working with brands but in that space i mean it was completely different because they would be particularly around events it would be more that they wanted to work with the local authority so they wanted to host event in a park or they wanted to tap into maybe a specific demographic so you're dictating to them what they can and can't do and the the parameters that we work in as a local authority which are completely different to how brands work so yeah the local authority doesn't care if you work with us or not so much we care that we are serving a community <laughs> like we need to make sure whatever it is that we're we're putting on putting out there there is a benefit there is an obvious benefit to the community that it, it um it serves um so we wouldn't just you know you wouldn't just do something because a brand has asked you to there has to be a direct correlation to the community particularly around a specific area or the community that they're looking to engage with and i think in my later years in uh working in, with local authorities brand partnerships became more of an income generating so it's be you know particularly for park events you'd want to work with with larger known um production companies because you wanted somebody one that you could trust that you knew that was going to um, take care of the space that you were basically hiring to them but also was going to help you generate income 
so you went from your role being much more events focused to being more around marketing communications and then looked into working in media and marketing specifically kind of what led you to moving away from the events and more into media I don't think it was a a conscious decision like that really I think I'd worked at the time I probably worked in local authority for about 15 years across different local authorities and it started to get a bit repetitive so almost it didn't matter what local authority you went to you knew what the work was going to be you knew how um di- the different ways to communicate with people was going to be or the types of events that you could put on or the type of people that were going to engage with the service and I felt like at that time I wanted to do something different I felt like there was different ways to communicate with people that I just wasn't being exposed to and when I then moved over to Hearst which is um magazine publisher it was completely different like it wasn't that I thought oh I want to work in media it was more that I I still want to be able to communicate with people I'm really passionate about storytelling and I saw engagement communications and events as a new way of storytelling so when I then went over to do events at Hearst or started off trying to do events at Hearst it was well I've got this skill in outdoor events I've got this skill in um event health and safety and I wanted to see if I could do that on a much larger scale that was um, not not uh, restricted to specific regions so if you put in an event in um, Haringey let's say you're going to probably put, be putting events on in Finsbury Park or if you put an event in Hackney it's going to be in Hackney Marshes whereas if you're doing it with a brand you're likely to go right across the country maybe into different countries and I wanted to kind of get an exposure of that to see how well yeah how far I could go how well I could do outside of local authorities because at that point since leaving uni that was mostly all I knew so looking back at your your time working in the public sector do you think there's anything that the private sector can really learn from the public sector I really liked how you were saying that you were really driven by the focus of wanting to produce or wanting to put on things that people were going to want and really trying to serve the public as opposed to lean towards what brands wanted to do. Yeah, I think when I moved from public to private sector, it was a bit of a shock to my system because you have to completely change your focus and the way that you see things. You have to think of the monetary value like straight you have to think of how is this commercially viable are we going to be able to make a profit from this whereas when you're in the public sector you're not thinking that way at all you're thinking about the community that it serves you're thinking well this specific community don't you know that they have a stronger need for foster carers in this community how can I speak to this community about helping their own community or how can I engage with this community so that they understand the housing reform that is going to affect them so you're thinking from a very service based approach whereas in the um private sector that's not that's not the game at all that's that's not what they're thinking they will think about it in terms of how it's going to generate profit and I think I definitely think there are things that the public sector can learn from the private sector but I equally think there are things that the private sector can learn from the public sector I think to authentically understand people you have to authentically understand the nuance 
um, and different motivators that drive people to do things. And people being in the public sector, you tend to think of it from a consumer point of view, which isn't, it's not wrong because obviously you want them to buy into or buy a product. But sometimes you can miss the motivators or the reasons behind certain things. And I think in the public sector, they really focus on that. They really try and understand the different motivators, the different um, ways people are going to be affected by things, positive and negative. But obviously they have very different outcomes in the way they do things. But yeah, I think there are definitely things that each each sector could learn from each other. So when you move to work at Hearst, it sounds like in your role in the public sector, diversity inclusion pretty much was involved involved in all different natures of your work that you were doing. And then so you moved from, from there to work at Hearst as a diversity, inclusion and belonging lead. Um, tell me about your time at Hearst and kind of how you found that role and how much of a change it was from, from what you'd previously been doing. So when I first started at Hearst, I was actually appointed as a show director, but pretty quickly that role kind of just evaporated and Hearst were on a journey to be more inclusive. So they'd had um, an all-staff meeting prior to me starting actually that talked about the fact that they wanted to be more inclusive they wanted to increase representation and they wanted to be more um more in tune and in tap with like audiences that they weren't reaching and kind of look the same as the rest of the world in in the fact that if you walk into a room how reflective of society is the business so when um that happened I basically reached out and said you know I have this amount of experience um, gathered from different local authorities, so I understand how to um, engage with hard-to-reach groups. I have this experience in terms of marketing and communication, in terms of programme and project development, because even while I was at um, the local authority, I wasn't a DNI person per se, but everything that you do, you have to think of from an inclusion lens, particularly when you're doing communication, engagement, events, you have to think of, well, how will we how will we reach different people? What projects or programs can we put on that will that other people can um identify with as opposed to just thinking one size fits all? Um so from there the diversity steering committee was was set up, which I led and then um, the role came about because I was able to identify different projects, working with the HR director, different projects and different pillars that we could look at to increase representation into the business. Now, working at Hearst, changing that from, I think the last council that I worked at was Haringey. So again, it was more around thinking, how can I... How can I build relationships with people who their main motivators are maybe different to what my motivation is or has been? How, like, what what motivates them to come to work? What mo- motivates them to come up with different stories or engage with different people? And most of the time it's profit. Most of the time it's how they're going to engage with new brands, um, how they can attract new readership so that when they speak to new brands, they can say our readership is increased by X, Y, Z. So it, it was really learning a new commercial language for me because at that point I didn't have that understanding of commerciality. Previously, my understanding of commerciality was particularly around, well, we need this money because we need to be able to maintain the park, but we're not just going to 
we're not just going to accept anybody, any and everybody in the things that we're doing. Whereas now it was more like, okay, we need to think about readership. We need to think about potential brand partnerships. We need to think about profit margins. We need to think about how we're going to attract main stars onto magazines, etc. Um, and that for me was a, was a completely new way of learning how to engage with people, still being passionate about what I'm passionate about, but how I could get them on board with that passion by them learning something new that maybe they weren't thinking of previously. So was this then a completely newly created role at Hearst? Like there wasn't somebody in that specific position before you moved into it? Yeah, it was completely new. So I was the first person to do um, diversity and belonging at Hearst. So it really meant um, setting up uh, the employee resource groups, developing a diversity strategy and what that was going to look like. And then because um, I was based in the UK, that was then the framework for that was then branched out into the US and the rest of Europe because we were the first ones to actually really think about how we were going to look at diversity and inclusion. And this was prior to COVID, George Floyd, all of that. It was it was it was before that time. So it wasn't in response to anything. It was trying to be um, ahead of the game because we knew that readership was changing. We knew that um, the way that brands were looking at um, engaging with audiences was also changing. So for me, one, it was learning all new languages and how to engage with different people, but it was also new for Hearst in terms of how they were going to engage with audiences that they didn't currently engage with externally, but also how they were going to attract people internally that could speak authentically to the audience that they were trying to engage with. So at Hearst, how did your role really function? Were you kind of working in silo or was diversity, inclusion and belonging really then kind of integrated into the business? Like when it comes to, you know, like you were saying, them thinking about attracting the next cover star for a magazine, was diversity, inclusion really integrated to all of their strategies and, and across the editorial team as well as the kind of client services sales kind of side of things as well yeah it was a process it wasn't I wouldn't say from on Monday we'd started talking about diversity and inclusion then by Friday it was embedded across the business but I would say that we um, started off kind of so I was based in the HR team and my role was to Initially, I really wanted to look internally at our communities. So who did we have in our business and why? As in why we weren't attracting people or why we were only able to attract certain people. And then it was looking at the teams that were at that time inclusive and, and the ones that weren't. And that could tell you a story around what our recruitment um, strategy should be, how... Um, how we would be able to authentically identify brands that we could potentially partner with, particularly around client services or in the CRM team. Um, so it was it was a process and I was there for three years, I think. Um, so, yeah, it was a process of embedding what diversity and inclusion would look like in the different departments. So it definitely wasn't a one size fits all. But I felt like we needed to understand who we were as a business um, to then be able to look at the different departments and say, well, this is how 
this strategy will apply to you when it comes to sales or when it um, comes to readership. And this is how it will apply to you when it comes to videography, client services, etc. So that we could embed it as part as a layer within the business. Um, and that involved lots of training. That also involved lots of um, speaking to editors and, and kind of trying to dissect how they saw diversity inclusion working for them. And once we were able to do that, the diversity steering committee really helped to put all of those ideas together and then hold people to account so that they were then responsible for delivering on, on the standards that we were setting. So we worked out a um, new way of um, tracking how inclusive um, the content that we were producing and then also kind of setting standards for how you know, I think there was there was already a um, predetermined notion that if you had a cover star that was black, the magazine wasn't going to sell as much. So we needed to see what evidence there was to support that. And if that was the case, what could we do to increase sales? Because it would most likely be based on something. Um, and once we did the, the um, groundwork behind that, you kind of saw that actually sometimes you'd put a well-known white cover star on, on the magazine, but at the time there was also a promotion with OPI nail varnish. So loads of people were buying the magazine because the nail varnish was there. But then when you had a black cover star, there wasn't an extra offer there. So it wasn't a fair comparison. Um, so to embed it across the business, we really had to look at all the different ways in which we presented ourselves to potential readerships, and brands and how we could change that i guess it with with things around that it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy people have figures that they're showing that the magazine isn't going to sell as well so then i guess it would be harder for them to create that partnership with opi when they have the black cover star and then it just continues really doesn't it until you have a steering group like the one that you set up that comes in and shakes things up yeah, 100%. And I think if we can provide evidence of why something has done something, like why something has worked well, as opposed to just um, feeding into someone's stereotype or preconceived notion of, oh, well, they don't. It's like, well, look at the difference. The difference isn't just that it's a black person and a white person. There's also a discount on membership or there's also a free uh, lipstick or etc. Unless we do it like for like, we're never going to be able to, to get a real understanding of why something hasn't worked. So it's a lot easier when you have the research behind it to be like, well, yeah, we're not going to make this a self-fulfilling prophecy by saying, well, black cover stars don't. And that wasn't true anyway. That 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 actually wasn't true at all. So by us having the research to back it, we were able to also go to brands and say, well, you know, this is how many this sold, this is how many this magazine sold, etc. So it's while you were at Hearst that you founded Amplified Kin. Um, can you tell me what really motivated you to to set up Amplified Kin and, and maybe a bit of an explanation about what Amplified um, Kin do? Yeah, so while I was at Hearst, I, I think I felt like I started to realise that there was just loads of stereotypes. So because I worked in local authority, um and I live in Haringey, so I live in Tottenham, I experienced the world completely different to those of the people that I worked with. And I felt like there wasn't a forum where we could share that experience with other people in the industry. So 
we um i say we i um was looking for different ways to form community so that you could share experience and that we would be able to really define our own narratives so we weren't defined by stereotypes so i think at the time bame the word bame or the acronym bame was used a lot and loads of people had a problem with it and it was like well who came up with it why have we not come up with the way that we want to be defined ourselves and really looking at well who was controlling our narrative so it originally started out as the beam group and it was um it was just a combination like a partnership between um the different uh black ERGs or black and Asian ERGs from the Telegraph um I think Warner Music Sony Hearst and Financial Times I think oh no ASOS not Financial Times sorry ASOS and we wanted to put on an event together for Black History Month um, and when we came together and loads of people came to this event which we held at ASOS HQ I kind of saw that there was a need for people to be able to speak to each other and to find out about experiences uh, be peer mentors for each other kind of um learning how to navigate the corporate field particularly in the creative industries at that time um but the beam group was heavily reliant on um active membership from the different um businesses and you know when you when you when you have a day job you're also a member of an erg to then do something outside can also be challenging so i wanted to do something that was a bit more stable and didn't necessarily rely on that so amplified kin was born because i saw that there was a need to support people with how to navigate their career on their terms um and it kind of developed more so uh, during covid so um i started out just kind of doing training to a few uh, businesses on racial equity and um understanding nuance on different um different communities different demographics um, you'd be surprised that loads of people, or maybe not, loads of people connect socioeconomics and race. So if if they're talking about socioeconomics, they normally mean race. So they think they're covering everything under socioeconomics and not thinking that black people can also be rich. So I always found that interesting. Not that I'm rich, but just that my race defined me as being poor straight away. Oh, I, I know exactly what you mean because I've known people who they're not they're definitely not meaning anything badly by it but maybe if they if they're white and were from a low socioeconomic background they make the assumption that because I'm black that I must be from have the same upbringing as them and the same background and you're like it can actually like it's yeah it can be completely different it's got nothing yeah I didn't me personally I didn't grow up in an estate for instance but they assume oh yeah no I'm from an estate like and I'm like, and I'm like, um, I'm sorry, no, <laughs> because it's just an assumption. And obviously they're not coming from a bad place. They're actually excited because they think finally somebody's going to understand them in a way. But yeah, it's so different. So different. Um, and I, I also wanted to be able to showcase the different careers that existed in different industries, because I think working at local authority you are exposed to so much in terms of how different demographics are communicated with. So an area that was considered um, to be more uh, black or brown 
was communicated completely different to an area that was considered to be white. And I always remember that um, one of the local authorities that I worked in would always, their messaging to a specific area was always around, you can do an apprenticeship. Now, apprenticeships are open for everybody. You can do an apprenticeship, you can get a job at um, a fast food restaurant or you can get a job in retail or construction etc but then in the more um, in the more white areas it would talk about graduate programs or graduate schemes and signing up to graduate schemes as if the two couldn't be synonymous like it depended on your on the area that you lived in on the messages that you were um, given as well as how far people thought you could go and I found that so yeah. annoying because you even when you think about school and the, the different careers that you could go into I'm well I'm 42 but when I was at school loads of people were it was like nurse you were told about nursing working in a local authority any kind of service-led industry I had no idea about advertising I had no idea even about banks and stuff the only thing I knew about um, finance or, or banks was that like you could go work in Halifax and be on the counter in Halifax that yeah, kind of like stuff yeah like in the branch yeah in the branch nothing yeah. about like asset management or wealth management or data analysts in a large asset like I had no idea about any of that so I wasn't exposed to all the different careers that that I could go into or that I could explore you you were kind of taught be passionate yeah. about music or sport then look at um some kind of hospitality or nursing or um, service-led industry, public sector. Whereas other people from different demographics are told about the broad spectrum of careers that they could go in, whether that be from their parents or whether that be from school. I just felt like the messaging was completely different to them. When you did, as an adult, see that there were different careers that you could go into, who was now helping you navigate those spaces because you are likely to go there and be one of few or the only. And that can be very... That can be very um, daunting when you, especially when you're first starting out in your career and you're trying to scale up. So it can lead to masking, it can lead to loads of code switching, and I just wanted to try and help change that narrative. So Amplified Kinstar is is a website that has loads of information on how to navigate the corporate workspace, um, and there was also the opportunity to, for me to come in and do uh, training, speak to um, different organisations on how they can be more inclusive, but also really champion and amplify the existing professional people from black and mon- and ethnic backgrounds that exist within these different industries. I think a lot of the language that is um, used around diversity inclusion comes from a lack mind space. So you're an ethnic minority, you're an underrepresented group. It, it instantly puts you in a box that says that you are less than or that you are othered. So it doesn't recognise the part that you already play or how you already add to an industry. And I really wanted to amplify the existing talent that worked in these industries to give hope and also ideas to other people that considered or didn't consider the the kind of work that they could go into. So that's kind of what Amplified, that's a long-winded way of saying what Amplified Kill is about. And so when you're amplifying the presence of uh, black and ethnic professionals, kind of do you do this by like one-on-one interviews or, or kind of profiling people? Or is it more to do introductions with them with, um, with I guess, key players that they should, they should know? 
I don't think it's about key players more so. I think it's 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 just about presence and showcasing the presence in the industry. So it would be one-on-one interviews with either people that I already know or people that have reached out and basically showcasing how they got into that industry, any advice that they would give to somebody considering that industry in terms of like qualifications, skills, um, jobs that they could go for, what they, what challenges they've encountered, what um, benefits they've, they've really had. Um, it's it's really, really about amplifying presence. So I don't think of it in, in terms of, well, you need to know this person. I think of it in terms of all people from black and growing communities. And I always say growing communities as opposed to underrepresented or anything like that. They have a place, they play a part within an industry and you can too. You do not have to be the CEO in order to be noticed. You don't have to be um, a senior manager level. You could be a junior. You could be middle management. You could just, you could just be there in the way that suits you. But your presence exists, and I want to showcase more of the people that exist, as opposed to focusing on not being represented. I think it's so important that people get that advice as well like talking for from my own experience I didn't know any black or brown people that worked well first of all I started off in journalism I didn't have any buddy that I knew when I was growing up that worked in that area there wasn't a family friend or a parent or something that was working in that area or even in in PR which is obviously what I'm doing now and being able to have that advice and help to navigate into spaces I I can imagine is so useful yeah, definitely, definitely. So now um, we're going to talk a bit more about diversity inclusion. I'm guessing this, this whole conversation is about diversity inclusion, but specifically, like, how have you felt that conversations around race have changed since the start of your career? Obviously, we had 2020 and um, George Floyd was murdered and that was obviously a huge moment and that was while you were diversity including working in diversity inclusion and belonging at Hearst um kind of how have you seen those conversations change um from the start of your career to to where you are now it's been a bit like a sandwich in the sense that prior to um the murder of George Floyd I think speaking about race was it, I wouldn't say taboo but people just didn't really get it they didn't see the need for it or why are we differentiating? I always remember that um, trying to start one of the ERG. So it was the first ERG at Hearst was called Hearst BAME because BAME was the word that was used at the time. And also we couldn't figure another, <laughs> we couldn't figure another way to bring everybody together, um, which shows you about language indoctrination, which is why it's important to think of things yourself. Um it was we wanted to bring different like different people from black asian black and asian communities together that um were at hearst so we set it up and i remember an editor had said i don't know if she complained or just mentioned it in passing but basically well, well why do we have to separate communities can't we have something where everybody can can exist together and it was a bit like yeah that's what work is like everybody already exists <laughs> like i don't understand why this is even a question um and so that fed back to me. And I think because of the status of that person, it made other people think, oh, well, that was that was the way to go, to not have separate um, representation for different communities. And, and I had to, I didn't have to fight for it, but I just had to argue the point that 
when you are um, the minority in a group, it can sometimes be intimidating for you to speak out because you don't feel like your experience is understood and or will be heard. So it can sometimes help to bring people from a similar, same community who may have the same experience or have advice on how to deal with an experience that may help you feel more comfortable to make changes within somewhere, within an organisation, within your team, etc. that previously you didn't have the confidence to do. And I think once that was explained, people were okay with it. So then more and more ERGs um, started after that. But I think at that time it was um, very typical of how people saw race. It was almost like why can't we all just exist together? Like, I don't think anybody's experiences is different. And that was, it was, it was challenging to explain to people that you don't have my experience. So that's why you don't think it exists. And me being able to speak about my experience so it can make changes helps me feel more comfortable, more confident. Um, and then with the, the murder of George Floyd, it was like a tsunami of people wanting to be more involved, more present in supporting racial parity to the point where it felt very overwhelming. It was like pushing water uphill and then all of a sudden trying to run away from water because it was just coming at you so quickly. Um, and I think one of I can imagine it was it was so intense. It was like <laughs> it was just like wow, everybody wanted to understand what your experience was or what we can do, and it was like. I've been talking to you lot for like two years. Like, where's this? Why now? Um, but I think one of the things that was really successful at Hearst was that we took over. So um, me and five other colleagues took over one of the All Stars, which was which was virtual, um, and we spoke about the black experience. So the whole All Star was, and it's something that the whole business tuned into. We talked about the black experience and people were very candid about their experience corporately, their experience in their personal life, their experience trying to climb the ladder. And after that meeting, nowhere of a lie, I had about 100 emails from people across the business saying how impactful that session was and they had no idea and these and and I didn't really feel like I said anything profound, profound or anything that anybody else said I didn't feel like oh this is this is um controversial this is like you know people won't know this I honestly just yeah. didn't and then like things that we talked about were so I remember going on holiday one time and every time I went to uh I think it was Egypt and we were part of a tourist group and this um, every time we went to one of the temples me and my friend we would always be stopped by another tourist group where they would want to take pictures of us and it was so weird but they would be like where are you from I would be like Beyonce yes Beyonce. it was like Beyonce you felt like Beyonce on holiday because they're like oh can we take it where are you from oh so beautiful and you're just like yeah I look bust up today so I don't know what is happening I'm like my face is sweating my hair's all puffed up this isn't this is this isn't me at my best but it also makes you think about where you can go and where you're going to feel comfortable when you're going on holiday. There's a whole thing that people people look up, like on... Um, I remember looking up, like, you search for what countries aren't racist before you want to go there. You need to check just the same way as people who are LGBT. They check as well. Exactly. Like, they're checking what countries am I not going to be arrested in for being myself. Like, it's a, it's a normal... 
it's, it's like a normal thing, but obviously not for everybody. If you don't fall into certain groups or categories, then it's not something you probably would have ever thought of. No, and, and the amount of people that had never thought of that was wild. Or even people, like one of the parents, one of the people on the group, on the chat, she was a mother, and she was talking about having to have a chat conversation with her her child who was starting primary school to say that you're probably going to be judged differently and this is how you need to act so she's aware that she's she's telling him he cannot be his full self because she doesn't want people to get the wrong impression of him and to tar him with a specific brush um throughout his whole school in life and I think that resonated not in a way that they probably identified like oh yeah that happened to me but I think it, it hit a nerve with a lot of people that were parents because it's not something they've had to think about when they're sending their children to school, having to mask yourself in some way or or anything like that. So I think a lot of the things that were just normal for us and we're just talking about, a lot of people that weren't in our community had no idea of. So the 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 feedback and response from that showed me that wow, we're just worlds apart. We're all in the same space, but we're we're just worlds apart in terms of our experience. And the fact that people just didn't even know that those experiences existed was wild to me. Like, I, f- I still felt like people knew those experiences existed, but just felt like, well, it's not my experience, so whatever. Um, so... How was, kind of going through all of that, how was that for you? Was it quite overwhelming? I imagine getting, like, hundreds of emails afterwards. Like, did you try and respond to people even, or was it just more enlightening that people really needed that conversation, that, um, that all agency that you had? I did try and respond to some people then after a while I stopped. But it was more that I felt, I think initially I felt like, oh, wow. Number one, loads of people were listening. And then number two, it was like, it really, it really had an impact to the point where people were telling other agencies about it. So other agencies were then contacting me and saying, oh, I heard that you did this. We're looking at doing something similar. So it was like, oh, wow, that, that's made a massive impact. And for me... It didn't, it just felt like business as usual. Um, so that was, that was interesting. And it was nice. It was nice to feel heard. It was nice that people took on board other people's experiences um, and were hopefully in a position now to learn from that and how they could be allies to certain situations that maybe they just themselves hadn't experienced. Um, but it was very overwhelming as well because then it became, well, how do we do this? What do we do? Should we do this for everything um and that was overwhelming because it was all at the same time and at that point we'd you know we'd been trying so hard to get people involved and engaged and they would to a certain degree but now it was like before it felt like they were doing it kind of because they had to and now all of a sudden it felt like I really want to know what I can do I really want to be more supportive and then it, it it put a lot of pressure on you to try and um satisfy that for people like being the person that dictated to somebody this is what you should be doing and that wasn't that's not the way that I work I'm not saying to you you should do this or you should do that what I want you to do as an ally particularly if you're not from a specific demographic is for you to think about how you currently engage and or don't engage and what you can do differently and come up with ideas yourself so it feels a bit more authentic I can tell you that as most people will know it's offensive to say the n-word you know it's offensive to say the N-word. So does that mean when it comes on on the song, are you going to sing it or you're not going to sing it? Like, think about things yourself. I shouldn't have to tell you, don't sing it. Do you know what I mean? So I think it was very... It was overwhelming 
tremendously overwhelming. But then also, as a black woman, you're also navigating how you feel when something like this has happened and your experiences are being exposed globally on how unfair your um, community is being treated. So trying to navigate that as well as be a a dictionary almost or a, a learning point to help people understand that experience can be difficult. And there were loads of people who, like loads of black people at the time that were just like, I can't do this, like I can't be your teacher. Google is your friend, go read a book. But because I'm a DNI person, that can't be my response. My yeah. I'm there to try and support you navigate how to be more of an ally to different groups. So I know you've said that you think there's still a long way to go for the advertising industry to ensure that inclusion is a priority. Why do you do you feel that way? Why do you feel there's still still a lot to be done? Where are we at at the moment? I think that it seems that the advertising industry is still kind of reactive to things or performative with certain things. So during Pride, during Black History Month, during South Asian Heritage Month, which is still relatively new, you might see more things done for those community, but it's not an all-round thing. And when it becomes innate, I think you're starting to see a lot more. So you see a lot more output. So you might see more people in TV commercials or um, as... um, not album fillers, but you know, like just random images, the random images are a lot more inclusive, but they don't really speak to the nuance of different communities. It just features different communities. So you might have something around hair and you then are looking at all the, you've got loads of different hair types to showcase how great this, this product is, but it's still going to be used completely different because you've got completely different hair. And just having somebody with type, I don't know, 3C curly hair doesn't mean it's going to have the same effect as somebody on type 4C curly hair. But you feel like you've, you've ticked the box and been inclusive because you've got a brown person in the um, as part of the, the campaign or in the video. But there is so much nuance that still needs to be explored and understood to make sure that you're authentically representing... Um, the black community or just different demographics in general there are so many like things that i've seen like whether that be ad campaigns movies or or written text where it just features a black person but it doesn't take on board the black culture the way a black person would respond because the way in which we communicate is different the way in which we receive and perceive information is different it's not bad it's just different and i think sometimes that gets lost which means it's not authentically including the like we're we're begging for inclusion, but what we really want is acceptance. We want acceptance to still be ourselves, to still be respected or understood as being a black individual within this industry, not a black individual that is just has a seat at the table but isn't able to incorporate their lifestyle or the things that they've learned as a black person as part of their campaigns if that makes sense. Yes, I think it does. It's like also the fact that there should be room to be an individual, even though you might be the only black person in the room. 
it's like there's still an individual kind of nature to everybody rather than being like we've ticked that box and included that demographic it's like having the nuances involved for each different community that you could be talking about like me and my sister there well, there is seven and a half years between us we grew up in the same household we have completely different ways of thinking but we're both black so yeah. somebody might think well they're both black if we just ask dion dion's gonna speak for her whole family i can't like i have different ways of doing things my family do things where i'm like Mm-mm, i'm on do that <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa so one doesn't represent all so if there's one thing that all agencies should be doing around diversity and inclusion, what would you say it would would be? I think it's really difficult to say one thing, but I would say pay attention. And what I mean by that is pay attention to the stories, the narratives, the examples that you give. You might think it's groundbreaking. <laughs> and sometimes they're nice, I'm not saying they're not. You might think it's groundbreaking, but who are you speaking to? Who are you speaking for? Who have you included? Who's in the room? Who was part of your ideation? How many people from different communities have actually seen the thing that you, you're talking about or can relate to it in a way that you want the wider community to relate to it? I think a lot of the time people are used to doing things a specific way. So for them it works, but you have no idea on how it would impact or influence different communities because you don't have that as part of your ideation. You haven't included that as part of your pitch. You haven't included that as part of your research or your um, your development. So the outcome, the end product that you're, you're given is kind of tunneled vision, but might include um, difference visually, but doesn't include difference in terms of nuance. Great. And so thinking of um, now thinking of your work at Jungle Creations uh, and incorporating kind of what you what you think all agencies agencies should be doing. So you work at Jungle as the director of diversity, belonging and engagement. Do you do you have a a good focus on really doing that that listening and all of um, listening in that role is it kind of more less reactive and more engaged i think that my favorite saying for jungle is beyonce wasn't built in a day so having the ambition to be more inclusive means putting the work in to be more inclusive and that's a process so you will have people that are really engaged and have an understanding of that and then you'll have people that think we need to get this through the door now. We need to come up with ideas really quickly. So don't have the patience to do that. So for us and for me, it's all about pipelining. It's all about process. And I think the the for Jungle, the best way has been to start internally in terms of how are we looking at things? How are we building communities internally? Because if you don't have representation in your team, me saying to you, well, how are you going to research it? Like They're not just going to all of a sudden randomly just hire people. And I also don't think it's authentic if they then went to a research company that did it you have people that work in your business that you don't engage with that you don't give the opportunity to give ideas so really building communities internally so that we can engage with each other and give ideas back so it's a two-way conversation is really important so the engagement piece the jungle has been um one of the main driving factors to make sure 
that there are communities internally that can give a deeper understanding of nuance and a deeper understanding of how to authentically speak to different communities and add culturally to different ideas. One of the, um, the, uh, the diversity strategies, basically we look for the cultural add, not the cultural fit, which means having to educate hiring managers, senior leaders on what that means and what that looks like, because it sounds good as words, because I, I came up with it, so I obviously think it sounds good as words. But then when it comes to actually putting that into practice, what does that mean? Do you understand how a, neuro, a neurodiverse person will think of things or process information differently? Do you understand that a black person and a white person could think completely differently about ginger beer and, the, um, and what that means when they drink it? Do you understand how um, somebody may prefer to be communicated with via email or via um, agendas and really detailed lists and another person may be like very visual and likes to put pictures together but they will all still come out with the same outcome but the way in which they get there is very different so it's been about educating on what the ad looks like and again that's a process that isn't something that we have nailed completely it's still something that has to be worked on every single day so I've got my my own issues with the term cultural fit, but it would be great to hear from you kind of why businesses should stop going for the cultural fit and why that term maybe now should be considered to be a bit outdated. Because it's just dumb. Essentially, if you were trying to... <laughs> if you were trying to assess um, a, a, a fish on its ability to fly, it's like you wouldn't, would you? You just wouldn't. You wouldn't think a fish and a bird are the same. And people are individuals. People bring different things to different organisations, to different ideas, to different groups. In your friendship group, every friend isn't exactly the same. You might have certain things in common, like you all want to work there, but the way you think about things, the way you process things is completely different. And the cultural fit, to me, implies... I want someone that's going to come and fit in, someone that wears the same size shoes, someone that looks at life the exact same way that I do, because I want them to fit in. I want them to make it easier for me. I want them to just be able to adapt to what I'm doing. So it means ultimately that loads of people are going to come in and and mask who they are. They're not going to try and be an individual. They're not going to try and bring fresh ideas or fresh perspectives because they're trying to fit in. They want to say things that you or somebody like the person looking for the fit is going to accept and appreciate so that you, you are never going to get the full breath of their potential, the full ability for them to shine because they're trying to fit in. And if everybody is trying to fit in, all we're really doing is looking at clone wars. We're trying to just keep the clones coming through the door and everybody's the same and this is all comfortable and we, we all think the same, we all do the same, we can all go for a drink after work, everybody's the same. Whereas if you're looking for the ad, you're looking at how how can we bring in new business? How can we bring in new audiences? How can we bring in new um, characters, new development, new ideas, new f- fresh ways of thinking? If you fit in, it's less likely that you're going to be able to do that. So that's why I think the fit is outdated and it's just rude. So hiring and finding finding the right people for a team is obviously... A challenge and more work needs to be going into 
well, I, I kind of think that a lot of agencies are doing well when it comes to thinking about diversity and hiring for the more junior positions. There's obviously work to be done when it comes to people in the more senior roles. But what do you, what other kind of challenges or what do you see as the biggest challenge right now across across the industry, thinking about media, marketing, advertising, the biggest challenge that we're currently facing to, I guess, get to the next phase of, of what things should really look like? I think the biggest challenge is systemic progress. So it isn't, diversity and inclusion is, is often seen as programmes and schemes to get more people from um, growing communities in and not seen as how we can change systems so that we can sustain people from growing communities uh, growing and being in the business so if you change the the processes that have existed for years and years and years that essentially were there to exclude people without changing those processes you're not going to be able to long-term include people so that's from the way that you recruit the the language that you use in your job descriptions how you promote how people even find out about your roles in the first place how many people are nepo babies and and that whole phrase of it's not it's not what you know it's who you know so having referrals so so and so's cousin sisters aren't used to work somewhere and i used to really know her so they've come and worked here as well there yeah. is there is a door that is shut to so many different people because they don't have a connection within um different industries or with particularly within the creative industries so the systemic barriers still exist they're still there because the only way that you can get in generally is through schemes. You need to have a very proactive team being able to go out and speak to people so that they're aware of the jobs that exist. You as a business, as a company, need to highlight why you want difference within your business so it doesn't feel like it's just a performative tick box exercise. I think, I honestly think the biggest barrier is, is systems because people can't, people struggle to think outside of the way that they've always thought. And if You've set yourself a task that over the next five years, we're going to increase representation to 40% and uh, 15% of our senior leadership team are going to be black or brown. But if you look at the people that are in your business at the moment and how long it took for them to get to a senior leadership position and they are not from the, the demographic that you're trying to engage with, they're not black, they're not brown, how easy is it for you for you to now change that so then the next the next cohort cohort sorry of people that come in are able to do that in a five year period particularly if you haven't been engaging with those demographics previously i think um a lot of the a lot of the milestones and the key performance indicators that have been set have been unrealistic because you haven't done the work to engage with different communities but you've put something out to kind of show that that's your ambition, which is great, but you haven't been realistic about how you're going to achieve that. So you'd need to do a lot more around the people that you didn't communicate with 15, 20, 30 years ago that could have built a career within this industry because those barriers existed. Like what, what can you do to engage those people? So if they now decide, you know what, I've worked at an, in, I don't know, banking or in finance or in... um the automotive industry for X amount of years, I've got so many skills, they're not going to come now and apply for a junior creative position, are they? 
how can you tap into existing uh, professionals that weren't given this opportunity or this chance before to now help them broaden their career and, and the things that they've learned out of their career within an industry that is now saying they want to be more inclusive? One trend I've definitely seen is more people from diverse backgrounds getting to a certain level and then there's no progress, I guess, within within certain companies. So they, they're going off and they're setting up their own businesses or their own agencies in any of these different areas that you mentioned. Do you think that will continue to be a trend or do you think that businesses are going to start making changes quicker? I think that once businesses see the success of people who have set up their own businesses and been able to develop narratives that they believe in and that broaden perspective, I think business will be, businesses will become a lot quicker in adapting so that they can include that as part of their um, existing offer. And I think it's a shame. I mean, I don't know if it's a shame or or not but I think sometimes you have to you have to create your own narrative you have to be your own storyteller so that people can see that your story matters or that your story can can be included I think um I don't I, I essentially think that constantly fighting for inclusion in a story that didn't like wasn't created for you it doesn't need to be our goal what we need to be looking for is acceptance and sometimes starting your own thing and creating that yourself is the best way to gain acceptance brilliant thank you that was dion maxwell dion is the director of diversity belonging and engagement at jungle creations thank you so much for joining me dion and where can people find you i know you've got a website for Amplify Kin, but also your LinkedIn? Yeah, my LinkedIn is, I think it's just Deal Maxwell. Um, it'll be a shiny brown or black face uh, on there. Actually, the beautiful black outfit as well. Um, and uh, Instagram um, and TikTok under DMPIRE, spelled D-M-P-I-R-E. But for, for more corporate um, guidance and advice, I would definitely go to Amplified Kin, which is www.amplifiedkin, all one word, K-I-N, dot com. <laughs>